Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. go at the tennis town and you're at Wimbledon and Djokovic comes to the set after a win, he's into it, he's he's funny, he, he's into chatting, you get a chance to know him a little bit. Radio guys, columnists in America don't have that same opportunity and so as a result, if they can't get the main guy on, they're not going to do the spot. And then they don't do the spot, they're not going to talk about the game and then tennis doesn't get the coverage it should get. That's the problem. Hey everyone, John Wertheim here. It is this week's Sports Illustrated Tennis Channel Tennis Podcast. Our guest, first-time caller, long-time listener, Chris Russo, a.k.a. The Mad Dog. You know him as a sports radio personality. He, of course, was with Mike Francesa, Mike and the Mad Dog, on WFAN in New York. They are the subject of a 30 for 30 on their partnership that's coming out July 13th. But uh, Chris for the last almost decade now, hard to believe, has done his own radio show on uh, on Sirius XM. He also is on Major League Baseball Network. And more important, most important for our purposes, he is a hard, hardcore tennis fan, plays a good game of tennis, and also knows as much about the sport currently as, uh, as any journalist going. He really is a, uh, a great tennis fan, great supporter of the show. We talk a bit about how he can get tennis onto his broadcast, what tennis needs to do to become a little bit more relevant to the mainstream sports public. Talks about Sharapova, talks about Federer, um, talks, period. This uh, I think you can see, A, why he's uh, such a popular sports talk radio host. He's got the drill down, great talker, great likable personality, but really knows his stuff from a tennis fan perspective. So uh, this, is a, uh, this is a fun one. We bring him on now. Chris, I keep calling him Mad Dog. Let's say Chris Russo. Welcome. Hello, Johnny. How are you, pal? How you doing? Not bad. I'm okay. Things good? All good. No complaints. You? You know, I, not bad. I saw Federer play against Isner 
in Seattle. What is he doing, this African thing all over the world here? I know he did it with Murray, too. What is he doing here, do you know? He's, he's got some time off, and uh, he gets to meet Bill Gates. This is what you do to stay in shape uh, between, you know, Miami and Wimbledon. So he went to Seattle for the day to play Isner. Where is, he, uh, is he not going to play Madrid, not going to play Rome, huh? Doesn't look that way. And I'm hearing, uh, I'm hearing mixed things on the French Open. What do you think? I would think he, I would think he would play it. Well, are you hearing people say he's not going to play the French Open? Yeah, I think the thinking is like, you know, it's always going to be the toughest slam for him to win, and why would he want to tweak his back right before grass in the summer? The fl- flip side is, you know, the guy's been untouchable this year. Why would he? Uh, why would he pass up another major? Oh, he! I would be shocked. He doesn't play the French Open. His competitive juices will fly. I know he probably can't win it, but Djokovic is not sharp. Murray is, on, is not the same. You know, he knows he just beat Nadal three straight times. I would be shocked if he doesn't play the French Open. Shocked. Where? Shocked. So this, is, this, is a great, uh, this is a great intro. You, you know this stuff cold. You know, usually I do, I, you do tennis interviews and they say, you know, what happened to the game and who's the next John McEnroe. You're, you're hardcore. Where, where did you? Uh... Oh, I am. I'm into it. I'm into it. I know that Nadal won this week, but, I, you know, he didn't play Murray in the finals, so that kind of helped him a little bit. Murray, it's amazing. Murray and, and Djokovic are falling off, off the face of the earth, for crying out loud. If, if I told you on New Year's Day that uh, here we are, you know, in, in early May, and Murray and Djokovic w- wouldn't have much in the way of titles, and uh, F- Federer and Nadal were playing the two best tennis uh, on the men's tour, what, what would you have said? I would have been surprised. I would have been surprised, Johnny. I mean, I would have been. Uh, I would have been. Uh, I would have thought that Djokovic won the Australian Open. He just didn't. He beat Murray at that tournament before the year began. Yeah, he beat exactly. Somebody in the final. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, beat yeah, Djokovic beat Murray right. first week of the year, and you're thinking, okay, well now we we got order restored, and he's going to Australia, which he's owned for most of the last decade. Then Djokovic goes out to a guy outside the top hundred. You know, Murray loses to the the big Zverev brother, and. Uh, Federer beats five top ten guys and, uh, you know, wins number 18. Unbelievable. But I do this podcast once a week, and uh, we, we talk a little tennis with a wide variety of people. And I, and I always say you are a great, great advocate for tennis in the, uh, the general sports media. Um, I just wish uh, it, it had the bit. You know, I wish you could justify talking about it more on your show. How, how are we going to get there? Well, I agree with you. Um, for whatever the reason, in the American media, tennis is just not that big a deal. Most of the young guys who break in to do these sports talk shows do not break in from a tennis background. They didn't play it as a kid. They didn't play it on their high school team. They're not a member of a country club where tennis is obviously supreme. You know, they don't play summer tennis or doubles. So there's, for whatever the reason, there's nobody on the air uh, anywhere who has got a tennis background. Fortunately, guys like you and me did have a tennis background. I played tennis as a kid. I played in high school. I played, um, you know, the country club. You know, I played the country club variety of tennis many a time, many a doubles match, many a singles match. So I, if you play the sport. Yeah, uh, you know, and you have a history of playing the sport, you're going to have a chance to talk about it more so than if you did not play the sport. And that's the same problem with hockey. Most of your guys who are on the radio did not play hockey, 
That's why, as a result, I know you know when they when there's very little hockey talk, and the same thing. I golf, same thing. But the tennis, for whatever the reason, it hasn't generated. I don't think it's necessarily just because there's no American tennis player. I know that guy will tell you, well, there's no McEnroe, Connors like we had in the old days. Blah blah blah. Sampras and Agassi. I think that's a little part of it. I just think it's the origins of the game. There's not a lot of familiarity to it. Um, now I'm a lucky there, John. I can get away with it. I do it. Um, during Wimbledon constantly. I do it. I'm at the U.S. Open every year. Um, and obviously, I'll, I'll get away with it during Australia if I get a great final, as we did this year with Nadal and Federer. Um, you know, and I'll throw a couple of spots on the air uh, as we get deep into the French Open. So the four majors I will cover, when Federer, Nadal, Djokovic, Murray are involved in a big tournament, I will cover uh, but I'm I'm going to do it. Nobody's going to tell me that I can't at this point in my career. I'm just going to do it as I want to do it. Fifteen years ago at WFAN locally in New York, I couldn't get away with it as much. So it really just depends on the host. Host has to be into it for this to get sort of to get any kind of coverage is what it comes down to. So, so one reason I love covering tennis is it's it's such a fun sport journalistically, right? I mean, you've, you've got men, you've got women, you've got controversy, you've got different countries. It's It's not really about when people say I love – Whoever I, lo- I love Sharapova. It's it's not because oh she hit that great backhand in Stuttgart. It's because she represents something and it's it's who she is as a person. It's much more of a personal thing than hey check out this amazing clip that was on Twitter, right? I mean I, I don't think anyone. Uh, I totally agree. I mean uh, it's an individualistic sport. Um, uh, we all know that, you know, uh, you would think that, you know, the man-on-man battle, the independence of it, you would think that we get into it in America. I think the one problem the sport has, though, for a guy like me, not for you, the tennis channel, all the things that you do, for a guy like me, the players, you can't get a hold of the players. There's no team. There's no PR person. you got to go through the agents. Um, you know, the agent doesn't want to put the player on, especially if that player is not from here, doesn't maybe speak the, the language properly. It's a radio interview. They can get nothing out of it. These are all the great players in tennis. They're basically individual conglomerates. So as a result, they have no need to promote their sport of themselves on a New York or local radio show. So a guy like me gets killed with this. I'll go to the U.S. Open. I can't get anybody on. You know, you you got, you got the tennis channel. They come to you. It's a tennis network. It's television. It's different. The local radio guy doesn't have that advantage, nor does the columnist. You know, the guy who covers tennis at the Cleveland Plain Dealer, unless he goes to Cincinnati for that event right, and right. Federer is playing in it, you know, he he can't get Nadal on. You know, Nadal's not going to do it. Give him 10 minutes on the phone because, you know, you can't get to Nadal, number one. And then Nadal's not going to want to do an interview in his second language with the Cleveland Plain Dealer. So it's very, very difficult to get to know the big stars in the sports, in the sport, you know, in, with American sport, you can call the public relations director. You get a chance to talk to the coach a lot of times in interviews when the games are done. You know, there's a, there's general managers. I mean, if there's not one player that you want to get, you can get somebody else on that team. You can't get LeBron. You might be able to get Kyrie Irving. You can't get Kyrie Irving. You can get. Uh, Kevin Love. Tennis, if I I can't get Federer, I don't want to talk to Dominic Thiem. 
Uh, Federer's the guy I Take want. That there's back. only five or six guys you want. To, there's only five or six guys you can get on anyway. So it becomes a very, very tricky situation to get the particular star on in tennis. And uh, you know, most people don't want to talk to the 25th player in the world. You would talk to the fourth best calf. You would not talk necessarily to anybody in tennis outside of the top four. That makes it tricky too. We stand for no Dominic team bashing here. But no, I, I think it's funny. You're That's right. You also point. you have the relationships too, right? Where Jeter will call you. You know, I've uh, Eli Manning will just call from his car. Um, it must it must be funny for you that uh, you, you got no problem getting Jeter and Carmelo Anthony and whoever else, and then Peyton and Eli. But uh, you're, you're you're struggling to get Stan Wawrinka. Well, again, I'd love to put Warinka on, but you know, a guy like Warinka, you got to put on in the in the studio. To do Stan Warinka on the phone, he doesn't know who I am. That's a tricky spot for him and for me. To get him in the studio next year one on one, it's a different scenario. Jeter, on the other hand, well, he's been in New York for thirty years. He knows me. I know him. He knows how to give me a twelve minute interview. That you know doesn't say anything, but it's a good. It sounds good. It's Derek Jeter the whole nine yards. I have had Federer on twice. And both times I've had Federer on, I had him on because he played in that uh, thing oh, the at the garden. garden. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so as a result, the garden wants Federer to do some promotion for it. And, you know, the garden, I know the people at the garden, they know I like tennis. Chris, you know what? Federer is available. Well, will you put him on? Of course I'll put him on. You know, and so Federer is told by the garden, listen, this guy knows tennis. He's into it. Give him 12 minutes. And Federer came on one year when we had the Super Bowl in Phoenix. It was great. So if, if it's the right circumstance... You got, a, you got a great interview with him. But you know this. See, you go at the tennis channel, you're at Wimbledon, and Djokovic comes to the set. He's going to be on after a win. He's into it. He's, he's funny. He, he's into chatting. You get a chance to know him a little bit. Next time you call him, he decides he wants to do it for you. Radio guys, columnists in America don't have that same opportunity. And so as a result, if they can't get the main guy on, they're not going to do the spot. And then they don't do the spot, they're not going to talk about the game, and then tennis doesn't get the coverage it should get. That's the problem. When, when, you, have, uh, when you have an audience or you, you have a partner like your, your previous partner, I, won't even, I don't even need to mention him by name, uh, not, not a fan of the sport, Wh- what do you think it is? I mean, is it, is it I didn't play this as a kid? I mean, you, know, you, you and I didn't play football, but we love the NFL. Is, is it this, this is a country club sport and it's boring? I mean, what, what's this sort of, what do we think the disconnect is? Why aren't people uh, more a very into the good sport? Very, very good question. Um, I think that I think there's a, it's a lot of components to it, John. I think some of it is they didn't play it as a kid. I think some of it right now might be a little bit no Americans that they can latch onto. Uh, three of the big events in a sport are not played in this country. Uh, Wimbledon is supersedes everything, but it is in London. It's not in Augusta, which is the closest similarity you can have with the golfers. Right. Uh, it's only the U.S. Open. The U.S. Open comes at the time of the year where the sports talk show guy or the columnist might be more wrapped up in the beginning of college football, the beginning of the baseball pennant races, if he's in a city that's got a good baseball team, and the NFL. I mean, listen, the Grand Slam final at the U.S. Open takes place on week one of the NFL. I mean, that's a, I mean, that's terrible from an American radio perspective. They're going to talk about their local NFL team that played week one, and they're going to talk about the Djokovic-Warinka final. They're going to talk about, uh, you know, Warinka, that was from last year. I mean, they're going to talk about the NFL. So I think there's a lot of issues with that. 
Uh, I don't know how to solve it. I think in a great American will help a little bit, as it did with Sampras and Agassi. It doesn't help completely because I was on radio for 20 years in New York when Sampras and Agassi were winning, and it still didn't get a lot of juice. I'll say what the one thing you will get, though. If you are a tennis guy and the audience knows that you're a tennis person, and there's a big tournament or there's a you know there's a, one of those overwhelming finals a la in Australia, right. I can do it. That Australian Open happened uh, the last Sunday in January. The next day, I watched that at home, got up, as you know, got up like everybody else did, saw it live, got on a plane, went to Houston. Next day, I did a four-hour radio show. And I was able to probably do three quarters of the show, or at least half of it, on the final and, and the men's final. From Radio Row. Patrick, you didn't ha- oh, wow. That's I put, good. I put Patrick McEnroe on that day, and he just got off a plane because uh, he had flown home that Monday. He landed at four, 5 o'clock. I put him on at 6.45, um, and, and we were able to carry that day with the tennis, mainly because my fans know that with a big tennis tournament – that I will be the only guy out there that will on radio that will cover it on the, on the dawning of Super Bowl week. So I'm lucky at this point in my life that the tennis fan out there, if he's into it, knows that if he puts me on during a grand slam and it's something dramatic that occurs, that I will cover it. So I get a break on that, and that's a perfect example. And plus that was an epic final, an epic fifth set. The underdog in Federer, it's hard to be an underdog when you won all these majors. He was, though, the underdog with 17 grand slams. And that way, and he, you know, 3-1 down in the fifth set. He comes, down and win, uh, comes back and wins. That carried me. But those are few and far between. The fact that, um, you know, you don't have an Adal-Federer final every day now, as you know. They're not that wrapped up. You know, Murray's not that much fun to watch. He's, you know, kind of robotic. <laughs> Uh, and as a result, that doesn't generate. You know, Murray's won two Wimbledons. I can't get anything going with it. But Federer and Nadal still carries some weight. Anything with those two. And if we ever have any Americans who are any good, little Serena. I was going to say, what, what about our 23-time uh, Grand Slam champion on the women's little, side? Little, little, I think the problem you have, John, with Serena is that there's no competition. I mean, and that's the problem that I have with her. Not her, it's not her fault. But that's where I look at the dominance a little differently than I would have looked at in the old days with Groff, with Navratilova, with Everett. I mean, those are three, Selish when she was great. Those are four Hall of Famers in the same period playing at the basically at the same time. Not as, I mean, I understand that Graf and Selish are a little younger than obviously Martina and Chrissy, so they didn't, their primes did not overlap, but they played against each other, those four. Throw in a girl, something like a Lindsay Davenport. In women's tennis today, I don't think you have a second player on a woman's side who is legitimately, I'm not talking about they put everybody in the Hall of Fame. I'm talking (laughs) about legitimately. I mean, how was Pam Shriver in the Hall of Fame without winning a Grand Slam singles championship? How is that possible? Legitimately, and I like Pam, but it got to be fair. I don't care how many doubles titles she won. Legitimately, legitimately, how many, when you think about it, how many women players out there right now who are Hall of Famers outside of Serena? How many? By, by tennis standards None. or by, by Cooperstown standards? Cooperstown standards. I mean, maybe Sharapova. 
Although she's lost, what, yeah, 17, 18 times in a row to Serena? V- Venus is uh, closer to 40 than she is to 30. I mean, I, listen, Serena Serena's going to make the Hall of Fame, and she did win seven, so she's making anyway. But she's no longer great. Who, I mean, when you get right down to it, who's great in women's tennis right now? Halep, she's not great. Yeah. Who, who is Kavitna, she's not great. I know she's injured, but uh, I mean, so I, I, I don't think the competition, it's not all because Serena's not good. I say, the, 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 the flip side is, shit, you win 23 majors and you don't leave a hole. Everyone's going to look bad by comparison when one player, it's not like, uh, you know, you're hitting 290 and I'm hitting 280. I mean, if, if Serena's winning everything on the table, everyone's going to look uh, like they have sparse credentials. I understand credentials, that, but... but- Sharapova's lost. I don't think she's won a set. Hasn't she lost 17 straight times without winning a set? She, she's had a rough go of she she uh, she got off to if a two-one lead, and it's been it's been a rough go since uh, the mid 2000s. I mean, think about that. Yeah, she beat her earlier in her career. Right. Think about that for a second. Now she th- theoretically is going to be labeled as the second best player in Serena's time, from start to finish. I know they have Kleisters and everything right. else, but theoretically, well, Venus, Venus probably too. But yes, yeah, so, you're right. Venus, yeah, Sharapova, uh, Sharapova uh, third, uh, sure, Sharapova third. I mean, I mean, geez, I mean, that's ridiculous. <laughs> Seven. Right. Uh, who uh, go go come up with any combination you want in men's tennis. With Murray and Djokovic and and Federer, Nadal, go back in the old days if you wish. No number one guy beats a number two person 17, 18 times in a row. Not a chance. So I think, and I'm not not concerned because we all know how great she is, and she's an all-time great. She's right there in the, you know, with the top two, three, four players ever in women's tennis. But let's be honest, there's not a whole hell of a lot of competition right now. Is it because she's so great, or is it because that the second and third place player isn't as good? It's probably a little combination of both. I think you'd even agree with that. I would agree with that. I um I, I you know I mean I, I feel also Serena's longevity I think is something that gets overlooked. No, we're going, we're going on 20 years here. But what, what do you make of uh, – I, I always thought Sharapova's return But think was, about that. But, John, yeah. think about this. She's not going to play all year. When she shows up at the Australian Open in January, she's probably going to win it. With uh, – as, as, as a 36-year-old mother. She's probably going to win it. <laughs> I wouldn't bet against her. I wouldn't her. pick it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't against pick her. against her. Not I, a chance. I, I, take her, a chance. I take her three months out of pregnancy uh, against the field. Um, I, I thought Sharapova would be a good sports radio topic. Right? Do you give her this wild card? She's coming back. Is she? I mean, I remember how you got you know Ryan Braun. I mean, th- these were big sports radio topics. These were these returns from uh, doping suspensions in other sports. You you think Sharapova should have gotten that wild card? Uh, yes, I definitely think so. You definitely. Do. I mean, uh, I mean, how come in all the other sports when you serve a suspension, you can come back right away and perform? Braun, A. Rod, uh, NFL players. I mean. I mean, why can't Sharapova? And, you know, everybody moaning and groaning about giving her a wild card. Well, go beat her for crying out loud. <laughs> plus, she puts, plus she puts fannies in the seats. She sells tickets. Right? That's part of the deal in women's tennis. Women's tennis does not sell tickets. There's nobody in women's tennis right now outside of Serena that you and I, that the average fan, is going to pay money to see. Uh, 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 regardless of the big tournament. Now, Wimbledon, you're going to pay, forget that. If you put a WTA tour event in the middle of Stuttgart, Cologne, name the place, and you don't have, you don't have Serena there, and you don't have Sharapova there, who do you want to go pay to see? Who are you going to put money on to see? You're going to, go to, you're going to go to Charleston, South Carolina, and you're going to go watch that clay court event. And there's no Serena, and Venus lost in that tournament. 
There's no Serena and there's no Sharapova. Who are you putting down a seat? You put Sharapova at that event, she's going to put fannies in the seats. Right, right. And that's what it's all about. So I have n- I had no problem whatsoever. Uh, what is this scenario at the French Open? Are they going to give her a wild card? How does that work at the, at the French Open? It's very tricky. Um, the, the compromise right now seems to be a wild card into the qualifying. So she'll, uh, she'll, she'll get a now, chance to now. be in the main draw. Now, hold on now. Why, why, why should she be in a world Why? Because she doesn't have any rating points? She beat half the – she beat four-fifths of the women in that event anyway, for crying out loud. Well, now, well, now after this, it to, might be different. Why now, should now she, she have might to do that? I, I why think should the, she have to do that? I think that the devil's advocate side is she, she gets to come back, but she's got no ranking, and should she have the red carpet laid out for her after she's coming back from a doping suspension? Should these wild cards go to players coming off the ban list, or should – I mean, you know, I, I could argue it both ways. But, uh, uh, hold on now. Uh, we're, we're, we're not, she's not the top 128 women in the world. Are we kidding now? She had zero. We're going to go make her. No, she's top five. We're going to go make her oh, play qualifying. Top, uh... Wait, she can beat 115 of these women with her eyes closed? She, she right now is probably would be one of your top four or five picks to win the French Open. And that's ridiculous. So, 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 so to be a pain in the ass about it, we're going to make her go play in the qualies. And uh, that's not the right thing. Uh, that's ridiculous. She sat out a year and a half for crying out loud. That's not the right. Why? Because all these girls get a little get a little prickly, and she's getting <laughs> a little benefit of that. She sells tickets. Get over it. Win some grand slams, young ladies, and you'll sell some tickets too. She sells tickets. Let her. I'm not saying giving her a ranking. Let her be a. You know. You know. She's got to be unranked. She's. But she should be able to participate. That event. Is a better event with her in it than not in it. And that's what the women players should understand. The tournament is, gets extra juice on their, on their side if she plays. Case closed. Two-time Case closed. winner. Two-time winner, too. Um, how good a player are you? I, I heard, I'll, I'll, lead the, I'll lead the witness. I, I heard you, I, you and I have never played. I, I heard you're, uh, you're quite a nice player. I'm okay. Um, you know, I love singles more, John, than I love the doubles. And at this point, when you are in Fairfield County, Connecticut, and you play in, uh, you know, these club inter- club matches, uh, you know, there's not a lot of singles. Most of it is all doubles. And I am not a great doubles player because I don't have a great serve, and I am not a great volleyer. And obviously, as you know, in doubles, uh, at a higher level, you got to serve and volley even off your second serve. Then you got to knock that first volley back deep and set the point up for you, for your teammate or yourself. And those two things I don't do well. Yet in singles on a clay court, I will get every ball that you got to hit. You got to hit, and I will I will sit back at that baseline. And I have good groundies, and I'll be able to stay in these points. In the doubles, I have trouble, and right now I'm playing more doubles and I'm playing more singles, which means I'm not as playing well right now as I could have uh, down the road. I did play doubles last weekend for the first time this in, since September, and I played with a guy who played with Patrick McEnroe uh, in high school. And Patrick, he went to Princeton with Patrick. He knows him pretty well. And we won our first two matches of the year. So that made me excited against two guys I had lost seven times on a road to. So maybe I'll <laughs> have a hand for a decent year playing doubles in 2017. You're not playing old man. You're not playing one up, one back either. You're, you're, you're coming in on every serve? Oh, every serve. All every right. serve. I, I, I am not necessarily coming in on my second serve, but, I, but everybody else is. And nobody is lobbing. Over the net player on a return serve. 
you are trying to hit good, clean returns at the server's feet as he onrushes to the net. The old man tennis is throw up a lob yeah, over exactly. the... Yeah, Lob the uh, net, man. We, we, <laughs> we don't do that. Uh, the tennis is pretty good in Fairfield County. They're, they all play paddle tennis, so they're ready to yeah, go right. to spring tennis. It's year-round so. tennis. That's, uh, that's, that's James Blake. Hey, I, got, I got a question for you. You mentioned the tennis channel. You, we, we all know, you know the phrase face for radio. You, I'll say it. I'm, I'm not embarrassed. You're, you're a good-looking guy. You, uh, you, why, why don't you do more TV? Well, I'm doing the MLB Network every day um, with the baseball. I love right. the tennis, and I love that uh, you guys do a tremendous job on that show. Okay. I was trying to figure it out this weekend. Did they do all the um, Barcelona tournament? They do it from L.A.? I'm sure they didn't send a crew out to Barcelona, right? Um, oh, those are, those I, are industrial but, secrets. I, I can't part with that information. Uh, I know you can't, but I understand that if that's the case, it's too expensive. But the fact is they're covering it, is the bottom line. And you guys do a tremendous job with that tennis channel. And you now, now you're really shine because nobody else has the French Open except for NBC, some coverage on the weekends, no ESPN. Uh, I think the tennis, Open does, the tennis channel does tremendously. I love it. Watch it constantly. Um... I always make fun of Iron Eagle, who they who, <laughs> who who parachutes in to call French Open matches on a tennis channel. Um, why, why do you make fun but of? I, but I love it. I, I love it. If they called, I if they called, I would listen. Let's put it that way. All right, we we may do some lobbying work for you. Um, all right, I said uh, I said half an hour. Last last question. Uh, this this documentary that's been getting all sorts of uh, advanced publicity. Where do you stand on it? I mean, where what's what's your relationship to it? I, I think everybody sort of read the headlines, but I think your relation to it is a bit of a mystery. I mean, you you, you like it, you support it, you're in on it, or you? Uh, I, I, they did. Listen, I watched. Uh, I saw the premiere last Friday at the Tribeca Film Festival, and uh, they did a tremendous job. These thirty for thirties on ESPN. It's a director's medium. Right. Uh, you don't have any editorial control. All you had to do is give them your. Um, you know, your approval of participating. You know, obviously you don't get paid. I did not see it before it aired last week, nor did my old partner, Mike Francesa. He didn't see it either. And uh, they did a tremendous... I mean, I was on top of it. I followed it. They did, it's If you like sports radio... Uh, and if you like New York and the history of it and everything else, and those 30 for 30 documentaries are very good done and very well done anyway, they did a tremendous job. Uh, it moves. It's funny. Uh, there's some sadness there. Remember, I was with my old partner for 19 years, and I left. So that it chronicles that. It really, they did a superb job. I mean, and again, uh, I, have no, I have nothing in the um, till. Uh, I, I, I gave them three or four days of my life. Uh, they came to my house uh, last June. I spent nine hours with them. They came in November. They followed me to work all day. That, that was a nine-hour deal. Outside, and then, you know, some occasional phone calls to see how they were doing. Outside of that, very little that I got involved in on a day-in, day-out basis. Um, it airs on July 13th at, at, at 8 o'clock at night. They did a hell of a job. They interviewed 35 people. Uh, they did a, it, It's fun. You're, you're like, John, and listen, you're, you're, you know, I don't know I'm if you're a target. sports radio guru, but, but, but if you are, you'll get into it. They, they do a good job with it. They really do. Surely it has occurred to you that you had a longstanding doubles partner, and your relationship uh, probably was not Unlike that of uh, you know Todd Woodbridge and Mark Woodford, uh, 
Mike, or, or any of the other teams. Um, that, as a tennis player, but also as someone who had a partner for, for all those years, surely you, uh, I'm not the first person to make that analogy. Correct. That's a good analogy to make. You know, uh, you have to subject your, you, you got to circumvent your ego. Uh, you have to, you know, you have to set up your partner, a la setting up your partner in doubles. You got to set up your partner in radio. You got to, you know, you got to feed him things that's going to obviously move him properly. That's going to, you know, whether it's me breaking down horse racing at the Belmont, which my old partner loved, you got to make sure that uh, he gets a chance to shine there. Uh, most of the years we did a good job with it. Occasionally we obviously had issues, uh, which is chronicled in the um, in the movie, um, too specifically. But uh, I think in, in any shape, way, or form, when you are sharing a microphone or sharing a court uh, together as a team, the idea, and it's not easy to remember this all the time, the idea is to make sure that you win as a group not to win as an individual. So you might be great, but you want to make sure your partner is good, because if you're both good, then the ratings are good. And, you know, you might be able to be great, but if he's better on the backhand side, and you love to play the ad court and doubles, and he's a better backhand than he has a forehand, subject your ego, put yourself on the forehand side, on the deuce side, and although you might be the better player who should obviously play the ad court, play the deuce court. And, you're, and because you're, your partner's got a good backhand. It's the same kind of thing in tennis. The same kind of thing on radio. Uh, you know, you may maybe some things you don't love to do, but for the good of the team, you got to do it. And I think for the most part, after 19 years, we learned how to do that. And that's why it's a good documentary, and that's why it's a, you know, people view it as an historic show. Do I have to tell you how many doubles teams part ways amiably and then get back together? Yeah, <laughs> that's a good point. Do they? Now, we, we've been apart now for a decade, nine right. years. Right. It's almost like we're more famous when we're apart than when we were together, if you haven't noticed that. Um, people relish uh, it. I mean, that's a, you know, there's a lot of tricky things I was going to say, you're, you're, you're prepared. Once, once this film comes, it's already brewing. You're prepared for what awaits once this comes out on July 13th. You, you know what the conversation's going to be. Well, yeah, people are going to be completely into it. They, uh, I mean, uh, they are going to reminisce. And they're going to say, geez, get these two dopes yeah, back exactly. together again because the show the is so much fun and all those things. And that's what they're going to say. I'm prepared for that. I, uh, I was prepared for it. I did a Q&A with Andrew Joyce with Mike last Friday, and that's all the questions were with the audience there at Tribeca, you know, that 750 people. That's all they cared about. Um, I bet you didn't uh, get you a know, dominant team show, reference that, in there. That show is missed. The show is missed by a lot of people. Let's put it that way. That show is missed by a lot of New York sports fans. All right, whether you get back together or whether you continue doing what you're doing, keep, uh, keep promoting tennis. John, you did a great job. And I'll tell you right now, folks, let me tell you a little secret about John Warthorn and make him, uh, make him happy. Uh-oh. A couple of years ago, coming back from the Super Bowl, I forget where it was. It could have been Phoenix, could have been New Orleans, wherever it was. I gave him a paper from my <laughs> 10-year-old daughter, 11-year-old daughter. I said, you do me a favor. She's driving me crazy. Will you take a look at this and see if you see, you know, she wanted to be a writer at the time, what you see. You give that to most people, they say, ah, geez, do I got to deal with this? Uh, I'll pretend I'm into it. Not only did John Warthine do that, he went through all the 10 pages that it was, put notes on the side, corrected the uh, Dot, dotted the I's, crossed the T's, made punctuation mist- corrections, as go- and put a little note like a school teacher would, good report, Kira, B+, plus, that kind of thing. I think it was as a solid A, performance- though. 
as as good a performance as you ever can see. The guy you're listening to right now. How's that? Oh, I appreciate that. I forgot about that. I your your daughter wanted to be a writer. Past tense. That uh, she's moved on to other passions. But she, yeah, I don't know. Who knows? What, what, who knows what a 16-year-old daughter wants to do? But right now, at the time, she was into the writing scenario. She did it well. Um, this was great. we got to do this again. Good job, John. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it, pal. Anytime. Take care. Thanks. Thanks, Chris. Okay. All right. That was this week's Sports Illustrated Tennis Channel Tennis Podcast. Chris Russo. Again, I cannot bring myself to say uh, – Mad dog to um to to a man in his fifties, but uh, that was Chris Russo. He was great. I think you uh, again get a sense of uh, why he's become so popular as a sports talk radio personality. Again, the thirty for thirty on Mike and the Mad Dog is July thirteenth at uh, eight p.m. on ESPN. Already, that documentary has gotten an awful lot of buzz. Um, certainly here in New York, Chris is a uh, a great tennis fan and really knowledgeable about the sport. As as you can tell, that was a lot of fun. We will uh we will look for him. We will listen for him. Thanks to uh, to him for his time and candor. Thanks, as always, to Jamie Lasanti, our producer. We will have another guest next week, but have a good week, everyone. Enjoy the tennis from Europe.